listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood, and joining me today is Mike Caden, the CEO of Red Circle. Mike, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. So if folks have not heard of Red Circle, can you tell us just a little bit about what the company is and what you guys do? Sure. Red Circle is a podcast hosting platform uh, that focuses on growth and monetization for uh, indie podcasters in particular. We have all the bells and whistles that you find from a hosting platform, but we also have some special tools for growth and some special tools to help uh, podcasters to monetize both uh, with advertising as well as with listener payments. That's awesome. So I don't think I realized that growth was a part of your strategy. I know we like to talk about advertising here on this show, but I'm always really intrigued with audience growth because let's face it, growing a podcast audience is not an easy thing to do. So what are some of the the tools that podcasters can use to grow their audiences? Yeah, it's one of the most challenging things in podcasting. When we first got into building our business, we created some free podcast hosting software. We just put it in the hands of customers and we started talking to these podcast creators and asking them, what are the challenges you face? And even more than I want to make money or I want to make more money was uh, I need to grow my audience. I want more people to, uh, to be able to hear what I'm trying to say. And at the time we had released some podcast hosting software, we had built underlying dynamic insertion engine that enabled uh, dynamic audio. And we were just thinking of interesting use cases to use for that in addition to advertising. And one of the obvious use cases after talking to so many customers interested in growth was to automate the process of running cross-promotional advertisements between podcasts. So on Red Circle, you can partner up with another podcast that's also on Red Circle you can you get a little UI where you can message back and forth and discuss the deal. Both parties decide on the start date for the campaign and upload their like 30-second promo for their podcast. Both parties get to approve the ad and then Red Circle's backend dynamically inserts those cross-promotional advertisements on the two shows for about two weeks. It depends on the size of the shows. And then we take them out. If you want to do it again, you can run it again. You can explore the catalog of all the podcasts that are opted into this cross-promotions marketplace uh, on Red Circle. So you can go and find other partners, run these campaigns, and look for ways to partner with other pods to grow your show. Uh, and you know, if you've run any of these cross-promotional things, feed drops, guests, stuff like that, it's a lot of manual effort for podcasters to go seek out other podcasts and coordinate over email. In Red Circle, the catalog's right there for you to filter and invite another podcast, upload your ad read. You could be done uh, as quickly as the other podcast is done. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's very cool. I did not realize, like I said, that you have that tool. So I'm curious, just in, I know you and I've known each other for a little while, but I was checking out your LinkedIn and I was like, man, Mike has such a strong background in kind of the tech space, but not necessarily in advertising or podcasting. And I was really curious what, having gone from software engineer, what made you look at the podcast space and say like, man, I I need to get involved there. Yeah, I've been a podcast listener since since it was on a, a pod, you know. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And I've been listening to some shows since back back then in the mid-2000s. And so I've always been a really avid listener to the point where members of my family are telling me to take my my headphones out and, and, and not have them in all the time. So that was sort of building before I ever got into thinking about starting a business. So it was just a personal obsession already. And 
I'm a creator. I'm a musician. I've been in and out of creative spaces for my whole life, but I've never specifically been a podcaster. And before Red Circle, I was working at Uber and I was there when Uber uh, was very small. I was there when you would get in an uh, uh, Uber and you would tell uh, the driver that you worked there and that was something that you felt proud about. It was something that the driver would be honored to be, to discuss it with you because they were making money on it and it was a, a great uh, service for them. And then, you know, after four years of growth and changes at the company, that was not the vibe by the time I was there at the end, starting to feel like I was working for a company, not necessarily that I thought was bad for the world, but wasn't super sure was good for the world. And so when I left there and I was looking for something new to do, I wanted to find something that was both a good economic opportunity for me, but also an opportunity to actually make sure I was doing something that I felt proud to tell my friends I was working on. And as I was looking around for a job in the tech industry, it's very difficult to find one of those, right? Uh, most places are building something that just optimizes for making the most money. And so while I was interviewing around different places and trying to figure it out, I started writing some podcasting software on the side, explore and write some code and get used to doing that before I was in the interview room. And over time, that back burner thing just became the front burner thing. And I found myself up at two in the morning reading the trade press and Edison Research. And just all of a sudden, I guess I was building a business around the software that I was building as a side project. And that's just how the thing was born. Uh, my co-founder, Jeremy, who works with me on this, uh, along with the 20 other people that work at Red Circle, was the product manager that worked with me at Uber. Very, very cool. So I know one of the unique parts of Red Circle, there's a few unique parts of Red Circle. So I think number one, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it is free to host on the platform. Is that correct? Historically, Red Circle was totally free. And several months ago, we've changed that a little bit. So we do have a subscription revenue model for podcasters. However, the free tier still exists on Red Circle and it is like very free and very usable. A lot of other podcasting companies who will remain nameless for the purposes of this interview have free tiers, but they're really extraordinarily restrictive. You can't actually run a podcast on there. It's just a way to get you in the door. We have podcasts that are clearing six figures on Red Circle that are not paying the monthly fees because they don't mm -hmm. need the features on the other side of that. The features that, are, that you pay for are advanced features, mostly stuff for networks, things like multiple users on your account, things like super advanced analytics. The free tier on Red Circle is still, in our view, the most complete free tier that's available in the market. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And the other great part about it is that the shows that host on Red Circle then are connected with a really robust ad system as well. And I think that's one of the things, at least in our conversations, that have really sets your company apart from others. Certainly there are companies like Anchor that are going to connect you with ads as well, but we don't need to go into the details of how their ads are delivered. It seems like at Red Circle, you have um, maybe more comprehensive ads and you're maybe going a little bit deeper to find advertisers for the shows that host with you. Would you say that's the case? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said before, what sets us apart is that from the very beginning, we've built the entire platform centered around dynamic audio, right? Mm -hmm. So we've always mm -hmm. had dynamic insertion from the beginning. Uh, and we recognized that the easiest way to help podcasters to monetize is to leverage that. So we have uh, our ad platform is called Wrap, and it services both programmatic advertising as well as host-read advertising. And so as a podcast that's large enough, you have to have 500 downloads per week to participate. You can turn this on. You can turn on either programmatic or host-read opportunities or both. You can specify where within the content, of course, you want the ads to be inserted in a waveform editor. And 
instead of having to worry about going out and sourcing uh, advertising deals, uh, you can offload that responsibility onto Red Circle's uh, advertising team. So we take care of that uh, for you. Uh, we work with agencies, we work directly with brands, and when we execute deals, uh, rather than most of those happening over emails and stuff, the platform is very much managing the campaign from end to end. You'll get invited to the campaign, see all the economic terms, how long is it going to run, what are the requirements, what's the script. And then if you opt in, you, you upload just the ad read, and then we take care of the insertion and removal of that uh, advertisement uh, and then manage all the payouts uh, automatically through the platform so you get paid what's the advertiser transmits the funds. So it tries to make the whole process of podcast advertising from the podcaster's perspective, super streamlined and easy and built and integrated into your hosting and distribution. And then on the other end for the advertiser, also trying to accomplish the same task, letting the advertiser uh, either point and click or collaborate with our team to be able to point and click to execute these campaigns uh, across a wide variety of podcasts. Okay. Okay, great. Now I was going to ask you and you just answered the question if you did programmatic as well as host red. And I wasn't sure if you did, but it sounds like you do have the opportunity for programmatic ads and you can, shows it sounds can opt into either. So you could say, and, and the way I always look at, at host read and programmatic is in my opinion, you're never going to fill 100% of your impressions with host read ads. And so coming behind and backfilling in with programmatic ads, I think is a really good combination. So it sounds like that's a program that you have that works well. Yeah, exactly that. So we, we will optimize to get you the most revenue for a particular download based on whatever demand or host read campaigns are running at a given time. So you just define your inventory on the show. These are the pre-roll spots. These are the mid-rolls and so on. And the platform will always make sure that download is maximally generating the most money for you. And some podcasters don't like host red ads, or sorry, don't, don't some, some like don't like host reds. Some yeah. like don't like programmatic. Yep. Our view is we, and some podcasters aren't comfortable asking their listeners to, to pay for bonus content or to make a donation. Mm -hmm. Our view is to just give all of these tools to the podcaster community and let them decide for their show what's appropriate, including using none of them at all uh, and just uh, using their podcast for whatever purpose they think is useful for them. Um, in general, you know, of course, the programmatic CPMs are lower, but th the work that you do as a podcaster is lower. You just click a button on and, and the rest just happens. And we give podcasters a lot of control. You know, we give category filters that enable podcasters to be able to say, I don't want to run any ads for an alcohol company or a sports gambling company or something that somebody might not be comfortable with on their podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. So one question that I have had about Red Circle is if someone is using Red Circle, but they want to go and sell their own ads, can they still have access to all of the dynamic ad insertion information and stats that have run on those campaigns and things like that? Yep. The dynamic insertion, this is one of the things that is behind one of our paid tiers now. So you, you still get access to dynamic insertion and those uh, stats about specific campaigns that you're running. They're just on the other side of that paywall. Mm -hmm. Because again, for us, it's like for podcasts that are taking themselves really seriously and want to run their podcast and earn and make money from it, usually $10 a month, it's not that big a deal, right? Uh, right. Uh, and then in the meantime, you can run your own campaigns. You can turn off our ads, turn them on when you're not running your own campaigns. Uh, it's very flexible for the podcaster to be able to control how, if, if at all, they're going to use our monetization services in mm -hmm. addition to their own. 
Cool. So let's switch the conversation and talk a little bit more about Red Circle as it pertains to advertisers. So I know that there are definitely a lot of options for podcast ad buying, but it also can be very confusing. And I would say one question that I get asked frequently when I talk to someone who is new to the podcast ad space, they're like, how do I even go about buying podcast ads? I think I feel like it's such a silly question and yet it is so asked, right? I think advertisers are like, how do I do this thing? And there are 10 different doors people could enter. You could go and just talk directly to a show. You could go talk directly to lots of shows. You could talk to networks. You could talk to rep firms. You could talk to agencies. You could go through marketplaces. You could try to buy programmatic through a trade desk or something. So where, you know, when an advertiser is trying to decide where to go to buy podcast advertising, what would you tell them? Obviously, Red Circle is providing a good service, but what is the best approach to trying to access podcast ads? Yeah, I guess the short answer is it depends. I think (laughs) the longer answer is it really depends on your goals and how much time you have and what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. If you're just trying to do some brand awareness stuff for a national brand that, you know, uh, that you don't need endorsement style advertising on and you don't need, you don't want to spend a high CPM because the product on the other side of your advertisement doesn't have the cost to, to make that worth it. You know, then sure, a broad-based programmatic ad is the right fit for you. You don't have to do anything except log into some platform somewhere and, and execute that buy uh, or go talk to your agency to do that on your behalf. If you're a D to C brand with a, a subscription, you know, the example I was use is a dog food company, but I just, I'm just making things up. You have a $30, $40, maybe more per month subscription. The LTV of that customer is in the hundreds of dollars. Podcast, host-read podcast advertising is perfect for you. The cost of your product is uh, high enough to support it. And also your product needs a little bit of explaining. It's not just like an Oreo cookie. It's something where an endorsement and some 60 seconds worth of time whispering into a potential customer's ears is super valuable for you. And so anyway, long answer is that it depends for all those reasons. Mm -hmm. Specifically, what we offer is this nice hybrid between still getting that host-read endorsement style ad that the platform helps you to even to do a product exchange so you could put the product in the podcaster's hands before they record their ad read, but also get the efficiency of being able to use a technology platform for the execution of that campaign so that you don't have to have hours and hours of your time or a million spreadsheets to try and uh, get one of these things done. Sometimes we talk to a brand that's a little too small for us to help and they ask this question, what should I do? And the answer is like, start emailing a couple of podcasts that you think would be a good fit. And that works if you're spending five, $10,000. But if you start to scale up beyond that, or you're doing it on a monthly basis, uh, you're going to need somebody uh, or something to help you stay organized and to, to help you with measurement and execution. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you have a minimum ad spend on Red, Red Circle? Does someone need to spend a certain amount before they can use the platform? There is. Uh, it's not a number that we've talked about publicly, but you know, if you go on our website and take a look at our brand form, you can uh, sign on to there. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. a couple levels about how much you're trying to spend. Uh, I'll tell you that the, the form won't let you submit it if the number's below $5,000. So that just give you an idea of where it's at. Yeah. And I think that that is... The reality is that if you're looking to spend less than that, your campaign's probably not going to be super successful. I feel like 
when we look at social media, sometimes people are like, oh yeah, I can run a $500 test campaign. And I always am like, yeah, you really can't do that in podcasting. So if you're looking to run a $500 test campaign, my recommendation is to save a little more until you can do a good campaign with podcasts. Because I do think it's maybe not necessarily an inexpensive method of advertising. I think you really do better when you have more more to spend. And I know there was a recent benchmark report out from pod sites that talked about needing to get a certain number of impressions in order to really see some traction with campaigns. So I always do recommend that advertisers look at the overall goals and then what is their spending and spend enough so that you can actually get a good test and you can actually see results. With the platform, how much, I guess, personalized service are you able to provide advertisers? If someone comes to Red Circle and they're like, hey, I've never done this before, are you able to help them through best practices of setting a campaign up? Yep. So this is one of the things that gets like added on if you uh, are committed to spending larger budgets, because of course we can't put people on every $5,000 campaign. But as you step up into larger spends, we dedicate account managers who can do anything from basically doing the whole thing and just getting your approval or just being a partner for you in, in strategy and, and, and guiding you through using the platform. The analogy I always use for this is when I was getting married, we went and met with the like wedding band and they said, look, like we can play anything, but let us control the playlist. If there's a couple songs you really want to hear, let us know. Otherwise, let us do it. This is our job. We know how to play weddings and we know how to get people dancing and having a good time. And so I use the same analogy for us, which is if you have some ideas, we'll incorporate them into the campaign and collaborate with you. But generally speaking, we know the inventory, we know strategies, we've seen campaigns that have succeeded and failed. And so to a certain extent, we love to be as helpful uh, as, as the brand will let us be in, mm -hmm. uh, in executing the campaign on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Very cool. That's great. In terms of looking at results, do you have any recommendations on the types of maybe KPIs or the things that an advertiser should look at uh, to monitor the results of a campaign? Yeah, I mean, we've used all the different methods that you can imagine for measuring a campaign from promo codes and post-purchase surveys to uh, all the different pixel vendors and or just looking at vanity URLs like there's, we've seen it all. And uh, our preference is one of the pixel vendors. We don't really have a strong preference between them. And maybe that evolves today after some of them have been acquired by Spotify yesterday. But our view is that the number one metric that an advertiser really cares about, most of the advertisers we work with is ROAS. They want to know, you know, I put a thousand dollars in and, and this many dollars in purchases came out the other side. And you know, what that means if you're using one of these pixel vendors is that you sort of have to fully set it up, make sure your cart size or your average customer LTV is getting pushed to the pixel vendor so that they have an idea of the value of the purchases and can make that calculation uh, on your behalf. The other thing that can be complicated in these pixel vendors and looking at their dashboards is the relationship between the overall size of your marketing program and where podcast your podcasting budget sits within that. So for example, uh, we've worked with a brand that is spending bajillions of dollars on Facebook and then put their first $50,000 campaign to work over a month or two in podcasting. And of course, in that scenario, the podcast performance, if you're just looking at regular attribution, looks spectacular because there's crosstalk between who's seeing a Facebook ad and who's listening to a podcast and eventually converts on their site. Uh, and that's where those lift studies that these pixel vendors offer really help make it much clearer what's the fundamental value that you get out of this campaign. 
And so to me, the like gold standard uh, is one of these vendors providing you a the ROAS calculation, the lift percentage with a dollar on one of these lift studies is, is like the golden metric. Mm-hmm. will tell you what's happening. Now, that may not be necessary to go through the effort or the size of a campaign to make a lift study possible if you're not spending a ton on Facebook. You don't think there's a bunch of crosstalk. Um, but in, in which case the regular attribution is also fine. But mm-hmm. that's where we really focus. In a marketer, in the end of the day, you care about ROAS, you know, uh, Folks tend to focus, I think, on conversion rate, which is I don't think is an important metric. It, it, it tells you a little bit about the alignment between the content and the audience. But if your alignment is a little bit weaker, but your CPM was also lower, mm-hmm. that performance of that campaign can be just as good. So the, the thing you really care about is, is dollars in it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think most marketers would, would as well. I also think that when we're looking at campaigns, it is really interesting to look at an advertiser's overall strategy. And I know you mentioned when you've got a company that's already spending a ton of money in other places, there is, I think there's a collective conversion rate that can be looked at too, right? So there, the reality is that if you're doing a ton of advertising and if people are already seeing your brand, having seeing you or hearing you in podcast should just then be another impression that it's all collectively working together. And I think oftentimes when campaigns aren't as effective is when there isn't already brand awareness around that company. So if a company comes to me and they're like maybe brand new or podcasts are one of the only things that they're doing, I think it's a lot trickier to really look at getting a ROAS because no one knows about your company. And one of the things I try to tell average advertisers is that if I hear about a company one time in one ad, what are the chances I'm actually going to take action? And truthfully, even if I just hear about this company on this one podcast and I haven't seen them anywhere else, I'm still less likely to take action because I need to feel confident that this is a company that I've seen that has a presence in the market. And every time I see that, every time I get an impression, whether it's through a podcast or a social media post or a banner ad, even like I'm getting that, oh, hey, they're here. And then I'm much more likely to take action. I don't feel like, especially smaller advertisers in this space, pay enough attention to that. What is your opinion? A hundred percent. You know, the the trouble is more around measurement and understanding in that scenario, right? Like the ultimate, I spent a lot of time talking to marketers before this, uh, when I worked at Uber, I built software for marketers. Marketers want to have that like perfect 360 degree view of the customer. They want to know they saw an ad impression on a website and then they saw a TV commercial and then they listened to a podcast ad and that's finally what did it, made them make the purchase. Uh, in reality, everybody talks about having something like that, but I think there's no companies in the world that actually have a view like that. Mm-hmm. And so as a market, and, and actually, if you think about the changes in iOS and a, a future cookie-less world, this full and complete understanding that I'm describing is just going to get increasingly hard for marketers to get their hands on. Uh, and so I think there has to be some acceptance of not going all the way to a crystal ball, but somewhere between the, those two uh, ends of the spectrum that marketers have to get used to. And the ones that that understand um, you know, that some of the budget is going to end up generating brand awareness for their next campaign or that, that there's interplay between their different channels, as you're describing, some of that has to be, I don't want to say it's like going with, with your gut, but it, you, you can make informed uh, estimates and you can make inferences to decide, is this campaign working well? Even if I'm getting 50% or a 70% ROAS or something, uh, instead mm-hmm. when I wanted to do something much better, 
that may not mean the campaign is a total failure. It may be a part of your sort of overall marketing package. It, it's still a success. I totally agree. So how should a marketer test podcast advertising? Yeah, good question. I, I was going to talk about this before when we activate a lot of brands, actually, because the, our, our product is very compelling for small and mid-sized marketing teams that are used to putting some money to work on Google ads or Facebook, and they want to point and click their way towards executing a podcast ad campaign without having to commit a ton of time because they're small and nimble teams. And we have a lot of folks who were helping them test for the first time. And there's a couple of questions I like to ask them when they're in that scenario. Sometimes people want to optimize for learning, and sometimes people want to optimize for performance in the test. That's a key thing that you have to think about as an advertiser. Do I want to spread this relatively small budget over 20 different shows and be a little bit more risky about taking on categories that I'm not sure if there's perfect alignment, but there might be, but that's one option you go. Or maybe I'm picking five shows for this small campaign that are all in categories that I'm pretty confident are going to fit for my brand. You can expect high performance there, higher performance, but maybe you don't learn as much, right? We've seen sometimes very surprising category alignment for brands that you wouldn't necessarily expect uh, because a brand was willing to be adventurous and put their spend on a large variety of different shows. However, the more you spread your budget out onto more shows, the smaller the flight has to be or the smaller the shows have to be. And that can also cloud your vision into what the fundamental performance of the campaign is as well. So no right answer there, but that, those are the, the variables that you have to play with. How many different categories and types of shows do you want to play with? How much budget do you want to put to work to get started? Do you want to optimize for less shows and more certainty or more shows and more learning? Those are the variables that we want marketers to play together with us on. We tend to run campaigns in relatively short flights. We usually run them in 30-day in flights or less on a dynamically inserted so that you're flooding the field with, with your budget versus spreading it out over multiple months and doing a lot of light touch to listeners. And we find that usually gives us a pretty clear picture of where there's category alignment, what kinds of shows perform, and whether overall this media works for the particular brand. It's usually the strategy we go with. Now, we also service demand from all the largest podcast media buying agencies that are out there. And that is not how they do it. They're usually buying one spot per month for several months as their tests. I'm not sure if that's a better strategy for testing or a better strategy for just how their business and their operation works. And so I'm not saying it's one or the other. I don't know. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that people take a really wide variety of approaches and how to run these tests. But that's how we do it. We usually do three mm -hmm. or four. We've dynamically inserted across the back catalog and new downloads um, mm -hmm. and then take a look at performance from a pixel vendor and see what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. I always look at the agencies that do a lot of podcast ad buying, and I think most of their clients are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I always imagine that their buys are really shallow and wide. And there is going to be a level of just frequency you get when you're on 200 podcasts, because we know the average podcaster listens to, I think, seven different podcasts a week. So if we know that they're listening to all these different episodes, like they maybe are going to hear ZipRecruiter here and ZipRecruiter there and ZipRecruiter here, right? Like, so I feel like they, they can take a different strategy because of the way that they are buying, which is different than a smaller company that's coming to True Native or to Red Circle saying, hey, I've got this $30,000 budget. What should I do with it? And we know they're only spending with us. They're not going to 10 different networks to buy from. I think the approach does need to be different. One of the things that I find really fascinating, and I'm curious what you think about this, is sometimes I think that advertisers get too matchy-matchy where they're 
we're in the health industry, we should just advertise on health or we're in this certain, we know this certain person spends really well. And so we just want comedy shows or we just want true crime or whatever. And sometimes I find that it is better for them to reach out into different genres. And sometimes genres that are very unexpected can perform sometimes significantly better than the genres that feel like matchy, matchy genres. What's your take on that? I, I, I agree. I guess what I think I would say is that I've seen, I've seen it all. I've seen really unexpected matches work great and perform that the marketer and, and, and Red Circle was very surprised. Uh, and I've seen marketers be right when they know their brand and they just they say we should focus on a particular area and they do. But again, I think especially when you're entering into the market for the first time that some experimentation is, is encouraged more. What, what I can say is, in our view, the number one factor for performance of the campaign in general is the alignment between that audience and the host's ability to perform the ad. Those are the two things that matter the most. We can have two shows that are both true, very similar audience, 20,000 people listening, all millennial women, perfect advertiser for that group. And one of them can double the performance of the other, which really the only explanation for that is that the host is just killing it with the ad read and can also get in the way of really understanding your campaign if you just get lucky. So we've had podcast uh, advertisers that have made some one-off buys here and there. They had their own program going inside. They bought on shows that the founder of the company knows and, and has been a guest right. on before. <laughs> and they say, oh, this performed really well. We want to run on all these like health and fitness shows. And we say, okay, why don't you run on all the health and fitness shows and also these true crime shows because they tend to perform really well and it's your core demographic. And they say, okay, fine. We don't really want to be on a show with murder in the title, but we'll give it a go. And then sometimes those health and fitness shows are right. And sometimes that those more female focused content shows are, are way better. So really it, it depends. Mm -hmm. That's why you got to get in the market and you got to play around. And I'm sure you all can guide people through doing something like that. Just like our software can, can make it easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you are spot on with the ad read. And really, it's amazing. If you listen to like 10 different ad reads for the same product, it's amazing how different each of them can be. And it's so important to have good ad reads. And that isn't something as an advertiser that you can control, right? The only thing that you can do is give feedback when maybe the ads don't come out the way that you want them to. But I often find even in the cases where advertisers give a ton of feedback, sometimes they give too much feedback and it's, oh my gosh, you got to stop because at the end of the day, we do have these unique content creators who we're trying to get to give really good, authentic ad reads. And if you put too many constraints, that really changes what you know that host is able to create and deliver. And I think at the end of the day, sometimes it really is just about whether that host actually genuinely likes the product or not. Do you have any sense of makes a good ad read or what maybe affects an ad read? Yeah, I think the same uh, advice I gave about letting the band play with the band knows how to play uh, applies here where we really encourage the advertiser to just give us a bunch of bullet points and not a script and let the podcaster do. Maybe we have a verbatim call to action at the end of the, of the talking points, but, but 
letting the podcaster do their thing is a big part of it. And the podcaster knows their audience better than the advertiser does. The best kind of advertiser for us to work with is the one who's willing to give the most creative freedom over to the podcasters, which can be great. You know, one feature we do have on Red Circle is that we have all these historical ad reads for all of our podcasters because they upload them separately from their content. An advertiser can look at a podcast's profile in Red Circle and listen to the previous ad reads and decide whether they think this podcaster is any good at it. And also the ad reads are due several days before the campaign begins. And so the podcaster or the advertiser can come in and, and listen and QA the reads before they go live. Now we don't let the advertisers say like, hey, you know, re-record this and pep it up a little bit. But if there's a problem with the promo code or some legal issue or something like that, we can't pull the ad before it goes live, uh, which mm-hmm. is an advantage uh, of using dynamic insertion for this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I know we need to start wrapping it up. Can you tell me if you had three top tips that you would give a potential advertiser wanting to enter the space? What would those be? First of all, I think you have to explore host red advertising. Like there's lots of different ways to deploy your spend into podcasting, but most of the ways that are not host red advertising are weaker forms of audio advertising that you can find in other places. You can get, uh, there's something special about the podcast audience that you might want to get with a pre-recorded advertisement, but host red is where, is where the fun is and where the top performance can be gotten. And if you look around at some of the biggest podcast ad spenders, they're all buying host red in, in sometimes massive program. There's lots of different ways to deploy it, but you got to play in host red to see if it works for you. That's tip number one. Tip number two is about being adventurous in the creative, which I spoke about a moment ago. You want to make sure that you're trying your campaign on podcasts that maybe you might not be the ones that you would necessarily think of first. I'll give you a quick example about that. A lot of times podcast advertisers come to us and they say like, oh, you don't have uh, Joe Rogan on here or the New York Times or, or these shows I've heard of. What shows do you have on Red Circle that I've heard of? And I said, well, I have thousands of shows on Red Circle you can buy from. Uh, you probably listen to seven. Somebody's listening to all of these things, but maybe they're not the most famous shows uh, in the world. My tip, and this this bears out in the data that we have, shows us that the smaller the show is, uh, the more performant it is. And the only reason not to buy on small shows is because it's operationally intense to deploy a podcast to 100 shows with a platform like Red Circle or with a partner who can help manage a campaign on your behalf. Deploying to a large number of shows, it's not that complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you can aggregate a bunch of mid-sized, middle-class creators with really high performance together into your campaign, you can usually get a higher performance overall out of the thing. Plus... These top shows that are out there are so uh, in demand that their CPMs are crazy, and that's going to hurt your performance as well. And then the last thing I would say is that a lot of people think about podcasting as a as an out of home style media because uh, because the tracking information historically has been harder. But today, you can really treat this as a performance channel. You can really come to a place where you have pretty good understanding of your dollars in and your dollars out. Maybe there's a little nuance to that, but you can really tell whether this thing is working or not. It's not billboard, it's it's a digital advertising channel. And a lot of folks start to stray away from the space because they're afraid that they're not going to get the understanding that they need. But the tools have emerged, either more traditional tools like a promo code and a post-purchase survey can get you the numbers you need. But more importantly, uh, some of these vendors that provide pixels, those will give you some pretty accurate pictures to understand, A, how is my campaign performing overall? And B, what types of shows, what categories uh, are really resonating uh, with my brand? So Use one of those vendors, that's my encouragement. But more importantly, you can measure these things and encourage advertisers to do it and not just uh, take a guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate all of your insights and advice. If people want to check out Red Circle or connect with you, where is a good place for them to do that? 
Yeah, redcircle.com is the place to go. You can, uh, as a podcaster uh, or an advertiser, you can sign up there and bring your podcast over from somewhere else. Bring your brand over to chat with somebody from our team. If you want to chat with me, I'll just be vain and say you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, it's my first initial M and my last name, Caden. M. Caden uh, is the handle. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show. And thank you for listening. If you are interested in getting a free marketer's guide to podcast advertising and kind of learning all of the ins and outs, you can head on over to truenativemedia.com to pick up a copy of that. Thanks so much for listening and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Podcast to Advertising Playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry. 